1: Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome on to Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Third year in a row, amazingly, uh, that we've done this. And I know time is short here. He's uh, in the media room, just filed a couple of stories. On deadline so we, we want to get right to it uh we're not going to talk too much about the Kyrie thing i think should we just make the assumption that he's gonna he'll at least play part of the season and he'll be there in the playoffs it's kind of
1: yeah I, I mean listen i there are people in the organization that honestly were surprised that it got to the point it did immediately. it i mean if you had asked maybe three weeks earlier i think a number of people thought he would get vaccinated We would have been vaccinated by now. Um, There are other people in the organization that still think that he will eventually listen to the players whose counsel he keeps. And we know he doesn't listen to everybody. Yeah. So you can probably figure it out. That those players will convince him to eventually uh, break this boycott or whatever you want to call it. And he will eventually get vaccinated. When that is, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I know he does have a kind of like a camp on the 9th and 10th of october which he's running with rod strickland um and the nets are scheduled to be practicing that day. so i you know i it, i don't know when the are going to decide to get vaccinated but yes i think we can safely assume sooner or later this will happen whether it's more on the sooner or more on the later, I couldn't tell you.
0: Yeah. The the question is just how many stories you're gonna have to write on it in the interim, right? That's what <laughs> that's
1: what it is. More than I care to, probably.
0: <laughs> uh so let's talk about these guys here. And we didn't really see them together hardly at all. The big three, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. And then we did see them in that Boston series. And I mean offensively, it was just I thought it was absolutely devastating. And I think most people I've thought they're gonna beat the Bucks in seven. Uh, I thought the Bucks totally overwhelmed early in that series. Then the injuries caught up uh, with the Nets. But what did you think of this team going into the playoffs last year? Did, did, and, you know, do we think like these guys are clearly the favorites based on even what that amount that they showed last year? Or is there more of a question in your mind?
1: Well, I don't think there's any question that they'll be the betting favorite. Now, I say this as somebody who doesn't bet, <laughs> right? Um and I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've come close to seeing the best of this team. And I don't just mean that in terms of chemistry on the court. I mean, we've still never seen what I would consider their optimal lineup. The lineup that you saw against Boston didn't play together at all, all season. Yeah. They had not played one second together during the regular season. And that's, that's the lineup with the big three, with Joe at small forward and with Blake Playing kind of a small ball five. Um, I think it's also important to remember Blake got beat out pretty handily by Lamarcus Aldridge as soon as Lamarcus Aldridge came in.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: it took Lamarcus about four days to earn the starting job, and then he was gone after five games. Uh, and now Lamarcus is back, so I, I don't think we've ever seen this team playing at its best yet.
0: Yeah, that the Lamarcus versus Blake thing is interesting because I you know there's so much talk uh, of the big three and and stuff and like you know I don't really have that many questions about them other than health like I mean I think all those guys are going to be really good you know James Harden fit in perfectly focusing more on distribution they put the ball in his hands Kyrie I mean yeah he had a ton of drama last year I this year doesn't seem to be going any differently to that but when he was on the floor I mean he had maybe his best season like he was unbelievable I thought he he was clearly uh an all-NBA caliber player to me and he was solid to start the playoffs as well until he went down so and then kd was better than anyone expected i mean that was that was the biggest question coming in last year was like what's kd gonna look like and if you had told me then we're gonna be talking about kevin durant as the best player in basketball uh a year from now like you know that would have been beyond my expectation so i'm not worried about those guys it's just kind of how the rest of these guys fit in i think like the center spot is interesting like what do you see aldridge claxton griffin uh uh you know, I guess they could go Paul Millsap in that spot also. You know, what do you see each of those guys uh, as giving them, and what are your expectations for how that spot is going to shake out?
1: I think it's probably the only positional drama that they have is what ends up happening at center. Um, I think all of those guys are going to have – and it's been a constant question that I've been asking everybody, all camp. All of those guys are going to have to be willing to check their egos at the door, right? because – They have. They went from last year at the end of last year, where Blake was essentially starting by default. Yeah. Um, DeAndre was persona non grata. Didn't play like last 16 minutes. I'm sorry, last 16 games. Um, Nick had about this this really white hot stretch in the middle of the season, and he caught COVID and lost his confidence when Lamarcus came, and then Lamarcus had his cardiac issue, so he was gone. Um, So basically Steve Nash had almost no options at center and now he's got a ton of options and he's going to have to figure out how to divvy up that little playing time amongst that many people. And all of them are saying, listen, if we want to win a title, we all have to be pulling in the same direction. And if that means somebody's playing 15 minutes instead of 30, or if that means there are games where somebody sits all together or even doesn't dress, that's what they're going to have to do. That's what they're going to have to deal with if they want
0: to get to where they want to go, which is, you know, winning Larry Bryan. So, I, for so for you, who is like the best fit for these guys? Like, if, if you're closing a game uh, against, say, the Milwaukee Bucks, which of those guys, Millsap, Blake Griffin, uh, probably not my cat who's Jocelyn the microphone <laughs> right now, uh, and uh, Blake Griffin, Claxton, uh, and whom I forget, and, and Aldridge. Who do do you want out there at the end of games against the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals?
1: I mean, I think if the big three is healthy, I mean, I think Blake has a certain amount of, for lack of a better term, corporate knowledge. Yeah. I think if you have a healthy big three and you put Blake out there, I would trust that. Okay? Now, what I would also say is, can LaMarcus get back to being what I saw for the span of a week or two? I don't know. If he can, uh, He gives them an entirely different offensive look, right? Because he, you know, that mid-range, they don't really have that. An old-school center who can post, they don't have that. So offensively, I think uh, LaMarcus gives you a look that you don't have. Um, I haven't seen Nick put it together for more than, say, two weeks. Now, I will tell you, I am incredibly intrigued by that kid. A six foot 11 guy, let's call it seven foot, who can switch one through five, I think somewhere down the line, that kid has a chance to be a special game-changing defensive force. I just don't know whether that's 2021 or whether that's 2022 or whether that's 2024. I don't know when that happens. I don't know when that kicks in. And I don't know when Nash will trust that to kick in, right? Yeah. So... If you're telling me now, if you're asking me in late September, early October, who am I going to see, who am I going to trust to win in a Eastern Conference final against Milwaukee, I'm probably going to say Blake because I've seen him do it. He he was um,
0: shockingly good, I thought, guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo because right. to me, in the Celtics series, he got roasted with all the switching they were doing. Anytime he got on the perimeter against like Jason Tatum, he had no prayer staying in front. Of that guy, and then you know he actually—I mean, until Harden came back, like they were playing really good defense in that Bucks. was far better than I thought. The good part of that was the Bucks—you know—were kind of stuck in the mud themselves. But the Nets did that to them to some degree. And, and Blake, you know, taking charges and using his body was pretty good. Um, you know, I still think like, Paul Millsap. I think will be really interesting because to me, if I'm Steve Nash, I'm just putting out there whoever guards Giannis the best. Like we got enough offense. Let's agree. let's defend.
1: Yeah wholeheartedly. And that's what I'm saying. I think LaMarcus gives you a different offensive look. I don't think offense is an issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it is. It's about who gives me the best defensive look. And that's why I put the caveat in, as long as the big three are healthy, right now, there will be games where one or two of them will be missing. That's a different story. If you're telling me that KD is out and Kyrie is out and you're saying it's Harden, well, on those games, I think LaMarcus brings you a look that you don't normally get from this team. That's a different story, right? But I think right now, if you're telling me specifically about Milwaukee and guarding that guy who's unguardable, I would say Blake. And that's unless all of a sudden Nick grows up, and I don't mean that in any kind of condescending way, but becomes the player that someday we think he could be. If that happens by March, well, then that's a different story. I'm not saying I necessarily expect that to happen that quickly. That might be something that happens a year or two
0: down the road. Yeah, I mean they they're, they're kind of like those Warriors teams, although they probably have more talent. Uh, but it just you have all these guys who can kind of play very niche roles uh, at the five. I mean, I agree with you on Aldridge. I mean, if they if Aldridge is healthy last year, I mean, I it wasn't viewed as a huge loss, but they desperately needed anybody that they could give the ball to to get a bucket even an inefficient one by the end of, of that Nets series um and Claxton to me I like him the best against kind of more perimeter oriented teams like going against, if they're go, going against the Hawks or something right to have him be able to switch on to Trey Young like you don't want Blake Griffin doing that you definitely don't want LaMarcus Aldridge doing that you know they, that's kind of the interesting thing with Aldridge too is like they switched basically all the time last year are they going to have Aldridge do that I don't know if he's he might be a little bit too upright to do that. So, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of different looks, and I think it's going to be tough for Nash to cobble it together, but at least he's got options. You got James Johnson and Millsap, too. I mean, there's one of those guys has to be able to give them something, you'd think.
1: One would think. And I, I'm curious if, you know, I mean, you lost you lost Eamon Adoken, right? Who I think is a very intelligent defensive line, but Jacques Vaughn is still the defensive coordinator. Yeah. I'm interested to see whether he throws in uh, some different looks because I don't know that you can just, I think obviously switching is the way that the league is going, but I, I'm interested to see if he throws in some more looks um, to make things a little easier defensively on the markets. Um, I'd be curious to see whether that happens. Uh, maybe you sprinkle on a little bit more zone because it was quite successful when Kenny used to beat people over the head with zone sure. and, and bring it out. Um, I'm interested to see if there's a little bit more versatility in schematically defensively from what we saw. But, yeah, I, by the end of this year, I'm sorry, by the end of last season, this Nets team was playing far superior defense to what they showed earlier in the year uh, when Harden first arrived. And they went through three different incarnations of this team. I'm not talking sure. about beginning of the season with, you know, with the fro-blocking shots and Karras... And Spencer, forget that. I'm saying the Civ-like defense that they played when James Harden first got there to where they got to in the playoffs was night and day. So I think they're hanging their hat on, okay, we have some of these defensive principles at least quasi-down. Maybe now we could sprinkle in and teach a few different things, a
0: few new things that we could hit people with this year when things go awry. Hopefully that's what we'll see yeah, they had some bad games in that Boston series when Harden was there. But the first two games, if memory serves, they held the Celtics down reasonably well. And you know, Tatum went off for the on them for fifty in one of the games. Then the other game, I think they won like you know one fifty to one thirty or something like that, where they were just so unstoppable offensively in Boston. But yeah, I mean, Harden obviously brings some challenges defensively. Playing on one hamstring when he came back in the Bucks series, I thought their defense really slipped as a result of that. I thought he had a lot of issues in game seven. I couldn't believe some of the stuff he was doing in game seven where he was like, you know, when he waved guys away on Giannis, he actually would stop Giannis, but then he was waving guys away against their perimeter guys and then getting lit up. That was that was uh it's all coming back to me now that that crazy game seven. But yeah with Harden you kinda you kind of have to switch. Like there's really at least yeah, on anything absolutely. involving him. Like he's never gonna get through a screen do you agree.
1: Absolutely yeah. they, well the idea of Harden being on this team and then not switching is not. But <laughs> I'm saying there will be games presumably. Presumably Harden will be healthier than he was last year because he's even admitted his conditioning was not where it usually is and where it needed to be. And that's what happens you get hamstring problems, right? So we're assuming that Harden will be healthier than he was last year. But I'm also assuming that there will be games that he will miss games where they will sit him and minutes, despite the fact that he loves to play every minute, there will be minutes where they'll be off the floor. And I'm saying on those situations, I'll be curious to see, all right, well, James isn't out there. Let's, you know, let's not give him a steady diet of 48 minutes of switching. Let's see. Let's switch these spots. Or let's switch, you know, let's go over and, you know, hit him with a 2-3 for one minute or two possessions or three possessions, whatever it is. That's all. Yeah, But
0: yeah. by and large, this is going to be a switching team as long as he's playing on it. Um, so they lost Jeff Green. Patty Mills was kind of was the replacement in that salary slot uh, as well. They also got Javon Carter to kind of be a heat up the ball third point guard type. Um, do you, do you like the kind of that swap out? Uh, you know, Jeff Green was kind of good for them uh, on offense, especially in the playoffs. But I mean, but they got Mills and you know probably some more overall depth than they had at least at the end of last year.
1: I had pretty much made peace with the fact that Jeff Green wasn't going to be back. Yeah, and it was only because. He had played more than well enough to earn a raise, and I didn't think he was going to get that raise here. But I thought he would get it from somebody. Um, I think that he, I think he'd been on five straight minimums, yeah. <laughs> if memory serves me, and he clearly had shown that he was worth more than that. Um, so the assumption, maybe with a month to go in the C N C bowl, somebody's going to give him some money, <laughs> so he'll be gone. Uh, I al- also was mildly surprised that you could get. Patty mills on that contract. Um, I was also, to be frank, I was also surprised that they kept Bruce Brown for the qualifying. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, 4.7 or 4.9, whatever it is. That's, that's less, I think than a lot of people presume that Bruce Brown would get. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't even look at it from the terms of, well, do I like getting rid of Jeff green to get Patty mills? I had just assumed that Jeff green was gone and saying, what can I get with an MLE well, getting Patty Mills with an MLE to me is a success. That was the way I.
0: Yeah, that, that's uh, that's interesting. But as we compare their performance to last year, I mean, you know, it may not have been within their power. You know, I'm sure if they offered Jeff Green the contract they gave Patty Mills, maybe Jeff Green w- would still be here. But I mean, I think Patty Mills is better than Jeff Green personally. Um, you know, he does give their bench an element that they haven't had, giving them another knockdown shooter uh, as well. If. Kyrie Irving is going to miss time. It's someone who can step in, but having that kind of movement shooting element and and Patty's not that good defensively anymore. I mean, that's your concern is just how much can he play with Kyrie Irving? Like you're a little small in the backcourt there, but uh, I mean, he's just, he's a good player on a good contract. Like I, you don't think twice about it there. I don't think.
1: No, I I think Patty, I think Patty Mills is a fine player. And I think Patty Mills is a clutch player. And I look and I say, okay, I have an MLE and then I have a bunch of minimums. They are, right now, they have, now granted, Blake Griffin is making a copious amount of money anyway for Detroit, right? But you have Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, right? And Millsap all on minimum, you know? I mean, you've got minimum. So my point is, if I have an MLE and I can get Patty Mills on it and I can fill out my backcourt with guys on minimums that can play, I will take that swap 10 times out of 10.
0: No, I I think they're they did as good of a job as they could have with the resources uh, available. The one thing I was maybe hoping that they could do was to if they could package DeAndre with a first round pick or two and maybe bring in a guy making a little bit more for him, but it seems like they wanted to just save the money and maybe that deal just wasn't there uh, as well. I mean, they
1: did shop DeAndre with a first round pick early, I mean during yeah. and they nobody wanted.
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Nobody no, it's uh, uh, But my my hope was unrealistic, uh, as it turned out. Uh,
1: And, I mean, to be fair, I you know, I will say they were as in love with De'Ron Sharp as I've seen them be with a player. But tell me what me they, they like about him. They adored this kid, you know, yeah. and just they really focused in on this kid. And then you end up with Cam, who I think was the steal where they got him, Sure.
0: Yeah. That, that's not bad. They need those young contributors. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since... We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. that you came from us, What do they like? So I mean, we don't need to spend too much time on it because I don't expect to play that much this year, unless you feel differently. But what do they like so much about Dayron Sharp? Because I, I'll be honest, like watching him in summer league, you know, he kind of seemed like more of an old school kind of bruiser center, great rebounder, well, but doesn't really seem yeah, to do much else. That's
1: that's a fair. That's a fair description. And if you'll recall, remember they you didn't have that last year, and you drafted him when. They fell in love with him when you're looking and on the roster you had DeAndre who they had no interest in putting on the floor and you know you had an outgoing Jeff Green which you knew yeah you know and LaMarcus was retired <laughs> right so i mean if you're looking you're saying, "Lord, we really have to work on our offensive rebounding. We need size and we need offensive rebounding." And he was the most effective offensive rebounder in college basketball last year. I think I think they were probably sitting at a different place then when they were busy scouting him than they sit today. You understand? Yeah. Uh, with Lamarcus cleared and healthy and back to play, and uh, and Millsap on your roster, I think you were probably they probably were sitting in a different position then. But I agree with you. I don't expect him to play a ton this year. I expect him to play a ton in Long Island this year, not necessarily in Brooklyn. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means. He's young and he's got a whole lot to learn, and they
0: have a very crowded front court of guys that they didn't come here not to play. So, um, this is something I wanted to ask you actually. I mean, we did, Steve Nash was like kind of this tabula rasa coming into last year. You know, he all right, he spent a little time in Golden State and he spent some time under Mike D'Antoni, who, who was there obviously last year uh, as well. Uh, but what are your impressions of, of Steve Nash as a coach uh, after watching him for a year?
1: Well, I mean, Steve Nash was brought in um not necessarily for his end game prowess i mean he was brought in because he's great at connecting people right i mean this is a little the nba's changed right as we know so steve nash managed to keep everybody rowing in the same direction or at least quasi in the same direction um, as he learned how to be an actual game day coach or end game coach. Um, Now, as far as the actual coaching goes, he, he didn't disappoint. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't as worrisome as I feared it might be when they hired him. Um, And he actually showed a lot of progress in that, you know, use of timeouts um, use of challenges. He showed a lot of progress in that as the season went along, but in terms of his actual team building, in terms of his actual, building of relationships that was always there and that that showed you know because there were as you saw situations last year where things could have gone sideways whether it's Kyrie going A wall and being missing you know or DeAndre I mean he clearly caused a stink when Kenny was here and despite the fact that Steve eventually put him on the bench did not cause a similar stink this year there were a lot of opportunities for things to go sideways, and Steve Nash kept them going in the right direction. So as he grew as a coach, I think what you've got now is a guy who, granted, there's an absurd amount of talent on this roster, but he at least seems to be managing to keep all of the egos in check and kind of pulling toward the common goal.
0: Yeah, I was impressed by him uh, the first year. Uh, you know, I, uh, John Hollinger and I do... Uh, coach rankings every year I had him in, in the lower end of the top 10 I thought like there wasn't really anything they were doing from a schematic standpoint that I didn't care for I thought in the Boston series they played Blake a little bit too much because he was kind of getting roasted defensively but you know he, he was better in the Buck series against Giannis now they ran they had so few players by the end that there almost wasn't really that much for for Steve to do uh, That's what I'm at, saying. Their front
1: point? court situation
0: was bad. Yeah.
1: <laughs> year, it was truly bad. Yeah. They did not. Nick, it, listen, if 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 they had the same Nick in the Boston series that they had with maybe a month and a half, two months to go in the season, yeah. Nick wouldn't have been playing eight, nine minutes a game, right? Nick could have been playing 20. But that wasn't the same Nick. Remember, he had COVID. Now, I can't speak to how much it impacted uh, because everybody's different. Right. Everybody's physiology is different. This disease hits people differently. Um, I mean, their sister team, the Liberty, I mean, Asia Door still isn't right. Yeah. From having COVID. So I can't say how much it hurt him, but he did have COVID during the season, and he clearly lost his confidence as soon as they went and got LaMarcus. Um, so by the end, I mean, Nick was a different player than he was in midseason. So he was only playing like nine, ten minutes a game in the playoffs. Jeff Green got hurt. And, I mean, DeAndre, as I said, I mean, he wasn't I mean he was out of the lineup. He was out of the rotation. He did not play for their final, I think, 16 games. Right. Right? So he didn't have a lot of options, which is one reason why I'm saying, as they were busy scouting, we're going back to you earlier, I'm digging sure. back down. When they're scouting, they're like, we can't buy an offensive rebound. And we don't have any size other than the guy that's on the end of the bench that we won't play. This is why they fell in love with DeRon Sharp. This is, this is the point. Um, speaking of the draft picks, do you think Cam Thomas is going to play at all? If he, I mean, if he can defend just, I mean, even at all, he will squeeze his way into minutes. Now, they won't be consistent. Um, you know, they'll be, he'll play one night, not play the other night. Um, but offensively, he has impressed guys in this camp. And I'm saying guys on both ends. Uh, we talked to James Harden today. And Harden, obviously, you know, there more about offense than most. He's impressed with him. And if you go on the presumption that Bruce Brown is their best perimeter defender, Bruce is impressed with trying to guard. Yeah. So offensively, he has an idea what he's doing. It's just, can he defend at all? And I don't know. And will he pass? Now, I didn't see that much of him in college. So I assumed he couldn't pass. I assumed he could not be a playmate. When I saw him in the summer league, I realized, oh, well, he's not an incompetent passer. He tells me he just wasn't doing (laughs) (laughs) right but i mean i saw the game if if you
0: never pass you then you don't have to worry if you're incompetent at it right (laughs) well i
1: I literally didn't know whether he yeah (laughs) because he had games where you look you look down the game on zero 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 one one zero zero so i was i just assumed he couldn't pass and then we got him in vegas i said oh well you apparently could have done this you just weren't doing it so in a weird perverse sick way that's actually encouraging I mean, it tells me, okay, fine. He uh, he presumably will understand his place in the hierarchy, and he will pass. Um, but, I mean, there is a ton of work that needs to be done defense. A ton of work that needs to be done. Um, so, I mean, if they can put him on the court
0: without him being an absolute sieve, then I think he'll play some. All right, last question here before before we get into our uh, predictions for the season. What do you make of, like, the overall vibe and culture around this team from my 10,000 foot view at least it seems like almost an unprecedented NBA situation in terms of player empowerment like a lot it seems like the Nets have almost like turned their franchise over to Kevin Durant and his guys and if Kevin Durant wants someone they go ahead and get that guy and you know if Kevin Durant wants to play all 53 minutes he's just going to play 53 minutes there's no way in hell Steve Nash is going to take him out of the game. You know, there's a, even LeBron James, you know, he wasn't necessarily playing 48 minutes unless it was a game seven, you know, and James Harden's on one hamstring, he's playing 48 minutes. And so, you know, whether it's decisions like that, whether it's personnel, whether it's Kyrie and his unexplained personal absence for uh, games at a time, it all seems like the players on this team have more power than basically any other team that I can think of uh, in NBA history. Is that your impression of things yes. as well? And, and what do you make yes. of that? Absolutely. yeah. I think
1: they have utterly leaned into it. Yeah, They have said, if player empowerment is the wave of the future and the way the NBA is headed, we're going to be out in the front of that. Whatever point we're getting to, we're going to get there before everybody else. <laughs> that is clearly the way that they are going. And this is Kevin Durant's team. Absolutely. Unequivocally. And that's how you look at the players. Like when you look at players in the offseason, you know, you used to look, and say, okay, well, hmm, what, what agent has this good relationship with this GM? Oh, he, yeah, he, he likes these guys. Or he's got a good, no, it's FOK. It's all friends of Kevin. Yeah. I look and you say, who's Kevin tight with? Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's who's agent I need to call. <laughs> that's the way they are. And that's, I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I think it's just. I think the player empowerment is going to be as each
0: season goes by. It will be even more glaring. Um, what do you make of the like the Harden Kyrie extension not getting signed yet?
1: I, I just think that's good business.
0: Yeah, James.
1: I mean, I, I mean, I can't. It's not fair to compare 161 million with 270 million because right. that's not exactly accurate. You have to take in the 47 million player up. So really. I have to compare two hundred seventy million to two hundred eight million, but still, it's sixty two million dollars that he could earn by waiting.
0: Yeah, so so to be so, clear, just for for those who don't know, if James Harden right. waits until free agency, he can get a five year deal. Uh, if he opts out, he essentially would be getting three more years tacked onto the two he already has, including the player option. So basically he gets an extra year at $62 million. That, that's what Brent's uh, alluding to there. Yes. I apologize. I was unclear. No, that's okay. Yet- I, it's, uh, you know, I know what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> right. just, just for so, people who are, who aren't as tuned into this situation.
1: So my point is that's just good business. Now I talked to Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets, uh, what yesterday morning. And I mean, Joe Tsai's attitude was he said, listen, he's he's already told me. He's already said he wants to be here. This is where he wants to be. This is where he wants to stay. So I'm not worried about it, right? So I, I think, now obviously things can change, you know, because we've gone over ad nauseum that Kyrie Irving told the people in Boston he wanted to be in Boston, and he's playing in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. But in this particular instance, you're asking me, what do I make of it? What I make of it is, this is a good businessman doing good business and not giving away 62 million dollars because there's no reason for him to do it. I mean, I understand that Kevin Durant wanted to get this out of the way.
0: Yeah. He well, he he couldn't do he, the five years anyway because of the oh, right. over 38 rule. The so there, 30, right. there was no reason exactly. to wait.
1: Yeah. Right. And he, they sat with him and they wanted him. He wanted them. There was no incentive for him to wait. That's why he signed. In James Harden's case, he told them he wants to be here. But there's also no incentive to do it now. As a matter of fact, there's a disincentive to do it now. Millions of disincentives to do it now. So
0: that's what I make of that. Yeah, and I guess we'll see what happens with like this Kyrie vaccination thing and whether that plays in. I mean, I'm guessing though, as, as you said, like KD is running this franchise. Kyrie's going to get the contract <laughs> that he wants uh, in the end, uh, probably regardless how this plays out. Unless he, unless he really, you know, everything goes south right. between those guys. Right. Which I don't. You know, I don't anticipate that yeah All right. you ready to uh do some predictions here uh sure all right so i i will go first uh by the way last year in the 72 game season uh i you had 45 wins and i had 46 and i think i can't remember what your prediction was i predicted them to uh to get to the finals i think i think i predicted them to win the championship actually which if they'd been healthy, I think it would have felt good about. It, even though it was that was before Harden was there, obviously. Although we had a decent idea he would be coming at that point in time. So uh, I'll go first this time. And what did I predict? Do you remember? Uh, I don't. don't I don't remember. I don't have that in my sheet. I had forty-five wins. I don't remember whether you said.
1: Oh that. no, I meant in terms of how far they'd go.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't have that written down. Unfortunately, uh, I just. I just remember from my own. Uh, saying it over and over again on this podcast that I do every single day. If I repeat myself often enough, finally I remember (laughs) what I say. Um, So, yeah, uh, I I will start off, though. I think these guys are going to have a really good season. Um, I think that they are going to be really upset about what happened last year. You know, the Kyrie thing is a distraction. Again, we're going to presume that that gets alleviated. I'm sure there will be something or another where he's going to miss time. There'll be some load management. But they also have a lot of depth, too. I mean, like getting Patty Mills in and Millsap and, like, uh, all these guys coming off the bench now. You know, maybe Cam Cam Thomas can come in and give them something here and there. Even Javon Carter, I think, is fine. They got a lot of depth at center. So, I I think, you know, if one of the big three misses time, I think you're probably still favoring them against just about every team in the league. And so, I I think they're just going to come out. It's, you know, they're not going to have all these back-to-backs and stuff. So, for an older team, that will probably be good. One of have COVID issues. KD probably plays more than 35 games. I think these guys are going to get uh going to be a 58 win team this year.
1: I would agree. I think if memory serves me, well again, I'm not really a better, but yeah, I would say 57 wins, maybe 58. Yeah. And I do yeah. actually think they'll win this year. Yeah. As opposed I know I did not pick them to win the NBA
0: title last.
1: Year. Yeah. I do think
0: it will Um Yeah. And I, I think, and part of my rationale was when I picked them was they're going to make a trade that was going to improve them. Of course, I thought they might make a trade that would improve the defense. And instead they went all in, in the offense and that actually worked pretty well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think these guys are just, and and there aren't, I don't see another dominant team out there necessarily this year, you know, maybe the bucks can rise to that level, but I thought the, the nets kind of had the bucks handled before, uh, before things really went awry for them, and they would have won it last year. And KD is, you know, way better than I thought he would be at this time last year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, they're the betting favorites for a reason now. I think I, I'll predict them to win the championship. Also, uh-huh. all right. Well, there you have it. We will be talking when we do this next year about the world champion Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> Write it down in stone, Brian. Thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Thank you much. Appreciate it. Man, I just love. here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us all right welcome on to one david Locke, the radio voice of the utah jazz jazz nba insider uh is, is what he says at the beginning of his show which i listen to still uh if not religiously semi-religiously uh on the utah jazz and uh also uh of course the Oh, what is your position now at
2: the Lockdown Podcast Network? I've got some obnoxious title. We can, I don't know. I'm still. I'm involved. How's that? I don't. Uh, d- I don't. Like director of Insight title. and Foresight. Say that again. Sorry. Director of Insight and Foresight. Yeah, something of that nature. I. I don't, <laughs> something about the last like four or five years made President not feel like it was quite as good as title as some others. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I. Uh, Well, I'll save that story for for when we're done, actually. Uh, But so let's just jump into it here. I mean, this is a very similar team. And I listened to, I think it was your most recent show. And you said you were going to come on my podcast and that I was going to ask you about the Jazz playing small and Rudy Gobert not being on the floor at the end of games. And you're going to tell me that that's dumb. And, of course, Rudy Gobert is going to be out there uh, because he's so key to what they do. And I completely agree. I completely agree. We don't even need to have that conversation <laughs> that yes. Okay. They got Rudy gay at center. Well getting Rudy gay at center instead of the defensive player of the year. No, that's actually not going to improve uh, your playoff defense. Uh, And that they just need to figure out a way to play with Rudy Gobert on the floor. You have the stars that you have, and he's a great player. And I, and I, I don't know whether you went as far as to say this. I, I don't think it was his fault that they struggled defensively at the end of that Clippers series. Uh And so, to me, it is a, all about finding a way to play with him on the floor, and he is
2: going to be out there at the end of games unless something really
0: crazy happens.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what, what happened in that is, you know, to some extent, Rudy was his own worst enemy. The Jazz were the number one defense in the NBA against the pick-and-roll last year by a fairly significant margin, even more so when Rudy was on the floor. And so at some point in a playoff series, well, what do you have to do? You, you can't just keep running pick-and-roll against the best pick-and-roll defense in the league. So when you, when you eliminate pick and roll from the modern offense now you're either playing kind of a pin down game and a you know and it's almost like a reverse side pick and roll uh or you know an off ball pick and roll kind of game or you just spread it out and play you know drive one downhill one on one basketball and the clippers were unique in their ability to be able to play four guys were 68 220 and it was a matchup the jazz couldn't handle defensively and i would agree that You know, the issue was that these guys just drove straight downhill and that Rudy then was guarding Terrence Mann out in the corner. And, you know, they they went by the time Rudy came to cut off the dribble, which was often a pretty far distance, then they passed out to an open Terrence Mann, and he had the day of his life and and deserves credit for it.
0: Yeah, and I think people don't understand, even without Kawhi Leonard, how difficult that Clippers team was to guard. And, you know, I, I will certainly admit that Phoenix despite not being as good of a defensive team as the jazz in the regular season was better equipped to guard them. Also keep in mind that they went away from that five out look in a lot of that Phoenix series in part due to Marcus Morris being injured. And so they're easier to guard in that series. But I mean, to have everybody able to shoot at 40% from three or Terrence Mann is a 40% three point shooter, but he, as you mentioned, had the, uh, the game or two of his life at the end. And, uh, Guys who could get by you off the dribble and also be able to defend competently enough. I mean, that's still, even without the absolute like superstar top end play of Kawhi Leonard, that is extremely difficult to guard. Now, to me, I think the Jazz were uniquely vulnerable to that because they're so reliant on one man and because they, due to injuries and just an overall lack of athleticism on the perimeter, couldn't keep anybody in front of them. Uh, so it, it was just, an, an absolutely terrible matchup for the Jazz, and if the Jazz had been healthy, and if they had maybe had a different path, if they frankly played the Lakers or uh, you know the Suns, I think would have been interesting. Denver would have been really interesting. Dallas, like I, I think they could have been in the conference finals. They maybe even could have won the championship last year, but obviously it didn't work out that way. And so there, it it feels like now they are back at square one of having to go through a regular season again and get to the playoffs and get the number one seed and. Try it one more time.
2: I feel as uh, I may have taken this from John Hollinger at some point, um, but I do, th- I'm kind of a believer right now in the concept that the league is very different than it's ever been before. Um, you know, for a long time, you kind of picked it. There were three or four teams that could make the finals. I, I think there's nine this year. Like maybe, yeah, m- maybe I could go as far as 10. So that's the first thing that I think is noticeably different about the league. The second thing I think that's noticeably different about the league. And I, is Donovan Mitchell can win a playoff game? Like, he's capable, probably capable of winning a playoff series. Like, he's that good. And yet, on ESPN rank, what did he come in? Like,
0: yeah, like he was like, like 17, tw- 18.
2: Yeah, right. So, the, so oh, then, and,
0: like, and same for Devin Booker, honestly. Like, right. there's, you know, and I think, honestly, if Bradley Beal were on the Jazz in Donovan Mitchell's spot, you know, you might, it, it might be the same for him as well.
2: So, when we suddenly have 20 plus players, I'm probably doing this in reverse order because I think that's what's creating this. You know, 20 plus players are capable have the capability to offensively win a playoff game, then you end up with eight or nine teams that are capable of winning the championship. And you end up with this like 12 or 15% chance by a bunch of teams to be able to win the title. And I think the Bucks winning the title has given the Jazz some hope, right? That they took yeah. two swings at it and missed. And and then they got a much better bracket this last year than they had the two years prior. And the Jazz, I think, kind of have, the, at least the players have that mentality right now coming into camp that, like, you just get a bunch of swings of this and you try to do the best you can.
0: No, I I think I've been making some similar observations lately as well. And, you know, part of it, I'm not sure how much of it is the way that the league is going and trends. Maybe it was just that, uh, and maybe during the 2000s when you didn't have, other than the Kobe and Shaq Lakers, you know, I I don't think that you had necessarily those dominant teams. Then we kind of started off in this decade with the Miami Heat uh, then we we moved to the Warriors and the LeBron Cavaliers, like teams that just were impossible to guard for just about any team, right? Like teams that uh, you know had these unbelievable players that just could not be stopped. And unless you just had one of the greatest defenses ever, you just weren't going to be able to stop these teams, you know, unless unless you could switch and switch across all five positions and stay in front of people, uh, you, you just were going to get blown off the floor. Completely. And so I think, number one, you don't have those top end teams with that type of talent who then uh, can defend the way those teams could. And then also you're just uh, the offenses have kind of caught up with what those teams are doing. And now there are a lot of offenses that can be as good as, say, those warriors were 5 years ago at least just in terms of like the, the raw points of possession if those if those warriors were playing now they might find it even easier because the people are putting less and less defense on the floor so yeah i agree with you i mean i think there are just a ton of teams out there that can win it now if we see the brooklyn nets come out and be healthy and just kill everyone this year then maybe that changes that approach but you know the chances of them being fully healthy are not amazing like they're going to be my championship pick but uh and i think if they are healthy it would be a major upset if they lose is also would perhaps
2: be somewhat of an upset if they're healthy. They they are certainly the team that has the twenty five percent chance, right? Right. Um, and then everyone else I think has the twelve percent, like eleven. Like there's in the West, this is not, you know, particularly jazz conversation. In the West, I have multiple teams I think could play in a play in game and could win the conference.
0: No, that's pretty insane. I mean, and and some of these teams, you know, like Golden State has a lot of variability uh, in terms of injuries. Denver has a lot of variability in terms of injuries. The Clippers have a lot of variability in terms of injuries with uh, Clay, Murray, and Kawhi coming back, respectively. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a really interesting regular season. Dallas without
2: an injury, right? Dallas could be seventh. Yeah. And and Luka could be take the next step, and they could could win the West.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a chance. I'm, I'm not necessarily buying this, but there's a chance that the Dallas Mavericks could have been the second best team in the West the last two years and just ran into the worst matchup in the first round. Yes.
2: Um, The other one, I think because of this, just, this is again, kind of big picture. I think the number one story in the West this year will be the effort. The teams have to put out to avoid being the play in team. Mm. And so I think one of the things that's going to be really important this season is who has the good first 20 games And suddenly jumps out to the 15 and five start, and then they don't have to worry about it. Whereas the other teams that kind of are meandering into the season and suddenly get to game 60 and or six, you know, let's say they're 64 and they're 34 and 30 or 35 and 31. And suddenly you realize, oh my goodness gracious, the seventh seed's gonna win 47, 48 games. We've got to go 14 and six to close the year, 14 and you know, 15 and five to not get in the playing game. And now you're not rested when you hit the playoffs because of that. And I think the Lakers are gonna fall into this. I think the Lakers are gonna be the team that meanders its way through the early part of the season. And because of their half court offensive struggles and some of their unique makeup, I think they're gonna have a hard time. And then all of a sudden they're gonna to have to kick it in. And the question's gonna be you know, it's not gonna be a twenty game or thirty game playoff run for them. It's going to be a 50 game run because they have to stay out of the playing game.
0: Yeah, that's all really interesting. Uh, on the and I actually disagree with you about on the Lakers and uh, you know, this is the Jazz podcast we had to get into that too much, uh, but I think they're actually going to get off to a pretty good start. Um in part due to the, their schedule, but uh, you know, part of me says that and then the other part of me says how often is the 7th seed a threat to do anything anyway? Or even the 6th seed a threat to do anything anyway? Like unless you're five seed or above you're you just have no chance now the Clippers were the four seed last year they of course tried to get into being uh, that four seed and so you know if the league truly is different and there just isn't that much difference between one through seven or eight in the west and it's all scrunched together then yeah I think you're right but I I think some of these teams are going to emerge to be really good I think that the some of the over-unders being as low as they are was just an indication that Vegas doesn't know who those teams are but I think Somebody somebody in the West is going to win 55 or
2: more games. Well, I find uh, myself generally high on all the teams everyone's low on and a little <laughs> lower on all the teams everyone's high on other than Phoenix, who I'm just very high on, but that's actually probably a team that most people are low on. So I, I find myself, particularly when I run my numbers, pretty much the opposite of where every narrative is going in the West, so it's going to be fa- fascinating.
0: Yeah, th- I mean, the, the Lakers are, I, I, I guess – probably a, a team that we're going to disagree and if they weren't playing 80 at center to start games which it looks like they're going to i think i would i would be in agreement with you but uh let's uh let's talk about the utah jazz i mean obviously part of the reason we're talking we're the, about the rest of the west i think yeah. we're the
2: most boring team in the league well not to watch
0: but but to talk about uh yeah may, maybe so i mean maybe and so i think spending some more time on how they match up with some of these other teams in the west it will probably be a pretty good use of our time eventually we do have a few nuts and bolts to get to here uh what did they do in the offseason? What what have they changed and what role are those new players to be taking?
2: They made two moves, and then maybe we'll see maybe a third that are gonna have an impact. Um one is that they changed their backup center. They moved Derek Favors um in a what was somewhat of a salary dump, but also that didn't work. Um and they added Hassan Whiteside, which Generally, I think when you think of is not someone who has kind of the the feeling around the league that oh Hassan Whiteside. But then you look at you know you kind of have to realize for all the narrative around Hassan Whiteside of negativity. Until last year, he'd never played less than, I think, 24 minutes a game since he went to Miami. He did play for Pat Riley's Miami and Eric Spolster for five years and then had a pretty good year in Portland. If he can be a good backup center, it sounds so silly that this like would matter, but the Jazz were 26th percentile in the league defensively with Rudy Gobert off the floor last year. In the, they were the number one defensive team in the league. But in the 14 minutes a night when Rudy didn't play, they were in the 26th percentile according to cleaning the glass. Yeah. Like, if that suddenly becomes 50th percentile, maybe even 60th percentile... Well, then that's really a dominating defensive team. And other than Taco Fall, they do have the two longest players in the league playing that position right now. So I actually think that's the move that in the offseason the Jazz made that has a chance to make them better in the regular season. The move that they made that they hope makes them better in the postseason is Rudy Gay. The feeling that, Ru- well, first of all, Rudy Gay's is big. He's like basically the same size as Derek Favors at this point. Um and just George Niang had a wonderful, wonderful season last year, but had just a bad playoffs and he just looked outclassed in the playoffs. And so the hope is that the great Rudini as basketball reference refers to him, which is just like a great nickname. I never knew Rudini <laughs> had, but I'm going with it. Um,
0: yeah, so, some of those uh, are more commonly used than others. Those basketball yes. reference
2: nicknames. And you know, who knows? He shot 38% from three last year. He'll get a ton of open looks. He shot 40% from three, two years ago. Um, you know, I don't, you know, Rudy Gay's 35 years old. He now has a heel injury. He's come off his Achilles tendon. I, I, but there, you know, he's 6'8", 250 and he makes them bigger, he makes them more versatile defensively, and he's got a moxie to him that I think he's ready for playoff basketball. So those are the two big shifts. One, I think, has a huge regular season impact. The other, they hope, have a postseason impact. The third is whether or not Jared Butler out of Baylor is good enough to take 10 minutes a night. And then if he is, that allows Joe Ingles... To shift to play a little bit more power forward than he has in the past, and maybe lessen the burden on him.
0: Yeah, at least to, during the regular season, because yeah, I mean they really uh, they had three guards, right? It was Clarkson, Conley, and uh, Donovan Mitchell, and then you know those, Conley, I'm sure will miss time due to load management, and so the, they will need someone to eat some innings uh, there, whether it's Forrest uh, or Butler. Um, give me just like a. a I don't, a lot of people probably are not particularly familiar with Jared Butler or Trent Forrest. You just give me like 30 seconds uh, on what each of those guys bring to the table.
2: What's really interesting is they're the exact opposite players. If you could meld them into one, they'd be really terrific. Um, <laughs> uh, Trent Forrest was undrafted after playing four years at uh, Florida State and doing a lot of winning and helping develop a lot of NBA talent around him. If you kind of think about the plethora from Patrick Williams to other Florida State players that have come in, he is. 6'4", 210 pounds, and a really big 6'4", 210, so that he can get wherever he wants on the floor with his dribble. He's pretty good in the pick and roll. He can't shoot a lick. Like, he shot 19% from three by the time Donovan was out for a while and he played regularly. Teams just literally stopped guarding him. He shot 24%, 25% at Florida State from three. Jared Butler is 6'3", um, got great accolades at Baylor, it is a fabulous shooter and from deep uh and is probably a little small. He's 6'3" with a 6'4" wingspan and I'm not sure that he's going to be able to play as big in the NBA as he did in college. That'll be a really big 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 challenge for him I think to be able to have that kind of impact. Um but he can really shoot it. He has some tendencies that are that look good at least in regards to playing some point guard. He probably is m- the most natural point guard of the multiple ball handlers on the uh, Baylor national championship team. Um, we'll see whether he can defend. He won a lot of college accolades defending. I think those have about as much weight as, you know, nothing when they come to the NBA, but we'll see, um, only cause the NBA is so great. So we'll see he, the, you know, he was a 1.5 points per catch and shoot guy in college. That's pretty awesome. That probably doesn't go away. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether or not, um, he can work his way in he had some medical issues that dropped him in the draft so he's the 40th pick but before those medical issues he was kind of talked about as like the most ready I never understand what that phrase means but that's what the draft experts said <laughs> like, you, know Eric, is the, yeah. you know who I think is the most ready in this draft
0: uh let's hear it
2: Cade Cunningham Jalen Green Evan Mobley
0: <laughs> yeah you know I don't I, know about Evan Mobley but you know, yeah. know why? Because yeah.
2: they're really good.
0: Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited to to see those guys in, in preseason. Which actually, we're going to have some games here in the, the next couple of days. Um- And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use your our CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So, and then Eric Pascal came over. Basically, the Jazz acquired him for nothing. For just for his, his salary from the Warriors. He's a buddy uh, of Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but what role do you expect uh, him to play, uh, if any, uh, on a night-to-night basis? So
2: I th- I really actually – you know him better than I do at this point, if I'm honest about it. Uh, I'll give you a quick, and then why don't you fill in the blank and let those Jazz fans that are listening right now learn yeah. a bit more about him because you watched him a lot over the last two years in the Bay Area. So I think – what role he'll take is Rudy Gay's out for a little while. He's going to play that George Niang backup power forward role. He might play a little center if the Jazz want to. He played a lot of center last year. He's only 6'6", but he's really big. He's in, you know, His background, obviously, is that he was an isolation player at Fordham and then went to Villanova and Jay Wright got him to pass the ball. The thing I think is most interesting, and I want your comments on this, Nate, is his. if you go back and read every draft portfolio of every single one, the number one things they talk about was he'll be great with great players. He does this, he does that, and when he's playing with elite level players, he'll be fabulous. And then he goes to the Warriors, and then if you read everything about Eric Pascal, it's like, this will be great because he'll be great with great players. And then the 2019-20 season comes, and Eric Pascal, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson are all hurt, and Eric Pascal plays like, I think like no time with Steph Curry the entire year, Some about like he becomes on that other team. He played, if my memory is correct, he plays like 150 possessions the entire year with Steph Curry. And then last year they decide that he's part of the second team who plays and he plays almost all of his minutes, um, Again, without Steph Curry, because Steph Curry and Draymond Green are matched together, and Pascal plays the role behind Draymond. So he plays something like 1,300 possessions last year, and the Warriors are terrible in those possessions. They're minus 10, and then, except for the fact that like he plays like 300 possessions with Steph Curry, and they're really good. Because you know why? Steph Curry's really good. So... I don't actually know how he fits into an NBA roster because I feel like the last two years from him have been such a contrast to what he could do well. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see as the season starts when he's playing with good players, but you have more insight on what he actually is as a player and whether he can be an NBA positive. Well,
0: I've been higher on Pascal than some last year was really a lost year to, for him due to injuries. There was a time when he was playing backup center on the second unit before Jordan Poole emerged that he was really the offensive hub of the second unit. He had about a two-week period where he was really just destroying other centers uh as a scorer and you know was they were able to hold up well enough defensively and then he got a sore knee and was able to come back after a few games but just didn't have the explosion at all. He was he was a wonderful finisher when healthy and he was just kind of pump faking inside, not getting anything. And then uh in after a at the very end of a 53 point loss to toronto in tampa uh he ends up messing up i think it was his hip flexor his groin trying to defend an alley-oop with two minutes left in the game and basically you know never returned at that point it did seem like there's a feeling that the organization was done with him there was a feeling that he couldn't play with draymond that was certainly the case if draymond green was going to be the power forward and he was going to be the small forward like he just doesn't shoot it well enough for that and the ball was going to be in draymond's hands and so he just didn't have anywhere to stand um, you know, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him at center with Draymond, like with Pascal, did develop with this isolation game. He got to be a little bit better of a passer. He was terrible at that. His rookie year, he got better at that as the season went along. So we haven't seen it yet. I mean, the odds are a guy drafted where he is, who's had the career that he's had so far is not going to be a huge helper. But I think he can move his feet well enough defensively. He's not really a good help defender, but as an on-ball guy for his size, he's decent. And you know, I do think he can score a little bit. Can he be off the ball and shoot threes? You know, he's kind of got this dolphin kick jumper. That he, with the organization, was trying to get him to change his form and shoot more of a set shot. And he was never, it seemed like, was comfortable shooting the ball that way. So that's a question. And so, you know, can he just be? Can he play the George Niang role? Like he's not that kind of player who's just going to stand outside the arc and bomb threes, or, or maybe then attack a, a closeout. I don't think teams are going to close out Eric Pascal until he really proves that he can hit shots. So he has a skill set, the fit on the jazz in particular, you know, I there, I would have liked to see him go somewhere else that doesn't have as defined of a system. Um, and, and cause you know, if Quinn Snyder wants to run some plays for him, he might be able to do something on, on the second unit, but you know, it just, that doesn't seem like something they're going to do for the 12th man on the roster. So I don't know that I like the fit there that much, but I do think there is an NBA role for him. And I do think he's NBA talented, uh,
2: healthy i mean you know more than I do, so i'm curious he's gonna get a shot right yeah like that's maybe the most noticeable thing is he's gonna he's gonna get a real shot here um coming up and so that'll be interesting to see the the other yeah. one
0: because Co- rudy gay is injured by the way and he's not he's not gonna be healthy to start the season coming off a right le- left heel surgery if we haven't said that yet
2: um so i th- you know i think that they that'll be the issue the, you know the other one that's interesting is those, those jazz players get really open looks right Like Royce O'Neal's kind of always been got the most open looks in the league. George Niang actually was willing to shoot when guarded pretty tightly. So that's certainly something I don't think they're going to want Eric Paschal to do. They're going to miss George Niang, not probably from a playoff standpoint, but he had a fabulous regular season last year, and that should not be discredited um to like you know he he really did he he deserves credit for and that's why philadelphia signed him and he's a he's a nice player because he can move it he can do a lot of things they're they're gonna miss him a
0: little bit. so from a schematic standpoint you started to get into something on your show that i wanted to elaborate on here with with these guys and uh this is something that didn't get a ton of play obviously it did from you and, and a little bit less for me the way that the jazz just bombed it on transition threes you know jordan clarkson was the poster child for that you know at the, at the end of a warriors game where i think uh mitchell and conley weren't playing clarkson almost won them that game in oakland by just bombing threes and having like over 20 points in the fourth quarter just shooting it before the warriors were even ready for him and and obviously uh that ridiculous stretch that he had right what did he have like 16 straight points in the second quarter uh Game six uh, against the Clippers, uh, things got a different way. We'd still be talking about that a lot more. But you said you think that because of training camp, teams are going to have a chance to adjust to that, that that was one of the hacks that Quinn Snyder kind of came up with last year. And so you said, all right, the Jazz are going to now going to have to have a counter to the counter of teams stopping them shooting those transition threes. A- any thoughts on what that might be?
2: I don't know. Um, But I do think it's an inch. You know, I just believe in this league a great deal. Yeah, and I think the coaches are great. And so the reference point I had on that was that the Jazz had this year where Quinn kind of instituted. It sounds crazy, but it was like this huge emphasis. It was like you were running around the gym and all the time, all they were talking about was the high pass, the high pass, the high pass. And it was the pick and roll to Rudy Gobert for the high pass. And it sounds like such a rudimentary thing, right?
0: Yeah, that that it's also called an alley-oop, by the way. Right. But- For for those of of us not in the jazz lingo here. Right. But it had somehow
2: left the game and Rudy Gobert went from 151 dunks to 306. Now, I think he had played a limited time the year before. So he went from like the 230 to 306. Like he went to an extra dunk a game by just the emphasis. And then by the time they came back the next year, teams were just sitting in Rudy's lap and he went back to 220 dunks a year. And so he went to one less dunk a year per game. It's, you know, it's actually a lot when you get into it. Um, two points matters. So I, you know, the jazz last year really found a way and shot brilliantly early in the shot clock. I think their, their effective field goal percentage in the first like six to eight seconds, of the shot clock was well over 60% um, effective field goal percentage They they came and they, and they shot or, er, and they shot a lot of threes. I think the only team that I, if I remember correctly in some of my research during the year who took more threes early in the shot clock was the Milwaukee bucks um and so you you there might be something to this and i think that if the bucks are doing it and the jazz were doing it and they were two of the best teams in the league then my expectation would be that the league starts to adapt to something of this how yeah you probably can answer that better than i can
0: well uh, yeah i I think you know naturally you'd think that uh if teams are going to you know get out there with their heels two feet above the three-point line then you can blow by guys much more easily right if the defense is just a, a little bit unsettled now Part of what I think caught teams by surprise is they felt like they were back and then they just have a three go up in their faces, right? Like the it, for a few years now, teams have been willing to shoot the open three in transition, and so this was off the dribble in transition. All right, we're back. They're just going to run some offense. I no, we're actually just going to shoot the ball right over your head right now before you're ready for us. So, you know, it may be that maybe there isn't necessarily that much of a of a counter to it. You know, you can do some stuff like uh, do more interchanging uh, on the perimeter. But I I mean, to me, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, it seemed like it was more just catching a team that thought like they were ready by surprise than it was like, you know, that they're necessarily in like what you would normally consider an advantage situation. If you stop the camera and take a photo when everybody's at half court. Uh,
2: I think that's, I think you're right on that. I mean, the, the bucks were the team that took more transition or early Transition threes than any team in the league last year. I thought they, I thought they were taking about 10 a game last yeah. year. Um, which is a crazy high number. I think the Jazz were at about nine a game. And then that, that everybody else was at seven, if I were. So, I mean, there was just two teams that were somewhat, when you look at it percentage wise, outliers, when you looked at transition threes, some of that is, you know, the Bucks obviously have Giannis in the open court. And so everyone's driving down to Giannis and he's able to kick out. The Jazz were more of what you're talking about that they just, you know, there was just, there was not a feeling. Of the best way I would use it and to use the great Jim Collins business book of good to great, which has been kind of into NBA parlance, I think they went to good is good enough.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I and mean, it's still a better shot than you're likely to get later in the shot clock.
2: So the, the old Spurs model of you know work the good shot to the great shot certainly is relevant, but I think the Jazz moved it in the simplest terms to that's good enough. And they Jordan Clarkson has a really interesting impact on this team. If you're watching from outside and it's like, his green light is as green as it's neon and it's really bright and it's pretty overwhelming. And it's even as someone who understands what's going on with the team every day, hard to watch at times. Like it's incredible how the freedom that Quinn has given him.
0: Yeah. It it was easier to watch when he was hitting every shot the first half of the year, less so when it got a little colder the rest of the way,
2: the team impact on that though, is that if, if Jordan can do that, well then I can do that. And the trickle down impact of what Jordan does for everyone else In kind of the joke around, well, you know, Jordan's not like, but it does. It allows Mike Conley, who's a natural passer, to come up and pull. It allows Joe Ingles, who's a natural passer, to come up and pull. Um, Yeah. And and, and so that's actually had a big impact on the team. Boyan, you don't actually have to convince to shoot. He's he's going
0: to pull. Don't have to do that for Donovan either.
2: No. Um, But Donovan's pretty self-conscious about the hero ball label and all of that. And a lot of times you'll see Donovan, like, and so I think the same concept is that there's a value to having, you know, this this idea that there's a freedom out there that is being granted to one of your players. Therefore, by the distributive property, is giving you the freedom as well.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thought, and I think yeah, for especially for Conley and for Ingles, who might be their two best shooters, honestly. Uh, that those guys can just bomb it off the dribble. I think it is really good for for the team. Um, any. Uh, Anybody that you think is likely to take a big step forward for these guys? They are an older team, but is there anyone that you think is going to be a lot better this year than they were last year? So
2: a lot is an interesting word. I thought Donovan Mitchell was a lot better last year than he was the year before. I agree with you. Um, So the the natural progression would have Donovan Mitchell still even better than he was last year. And then that really gets him into pretty special rarefied air. Um, But, But this is when you start to do that, right? Like usually from year three to year four, you take a jump. We saw the beginning of that jump in the bubble because that was actually, you know, timing wise, probably the year of year three and Kevin Pelton's made a really good point about the bubble that it wasn't, it was just chronology. It was just kind of the natural chronology of where players get better. And so I think there's another step here for Donovan. Do the jazz let him become more heliocentric that using a Danny LaRue term um, that
0: seems. No, that, that is a Seth Partno term. Okay. Seth, by by the the term. We, we've LaRue all stolen so it from that him. I
2: gave him credit for it. Um, <laughs> the, I, you know, it's hard to imagine a usage rate higher than 33.5 last year year but maybe it is right like maybe you know the other aspect of this is if donovan does two things better than most people realize one is he's if you actually look at the catch and shoot standstill catch and shoot numbers in the nba over the last four years joe harris is best and donovan's second best donovan's an unbelievable shooter i could see the jazz using some more clay thompson type action for donovan where he's coming off baseline pin downs or baseline picks or pin downs on the wing, catching with an advantage and then rolling a pick and roll out of that.
0: I'd love to see that because I I do think that they're a little in the playoffs, just pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, uh, gets to be a little bit predictable.
2: Probably. Um, Though their problems in the playoffs have often been when people start switching one through five and then they lose their pick and roll. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. But at least, but I think even if you're, even if they're switching one through five, when you're doing the off-ball stuff, and if somebody has a lot of gravity, that can actually like cause miscommunication, right? Like, just the on-ball pick and roll. Okay, we just switch it. It's, it's not All that right. hard, right? I mean, you know, and they've tried to do stuff, like, I mean, going back to the Houston days, like having Rudy slip out of there early, and then he gets held, you, you know, and that's like a point of education. So, uh like, they try to do stuff out of the on-ball probably more than anybody, but it's really the off-ball stuff to me where you can either – you can set the screen. You cannot set the screen. You can slip it early. That gives you more options for causing miscommunication against a switching defense than the on-ball stuff does.
2: Right. I mean, I think there's a really interesting, the, the the Rudy Gobert sends the pin down to free Donovan Mitchell on the right, you know, on the left wing so that Donovan's now coming to his right hand across the middle. Rudy's rolling the baseline. Did you just switch it? If you switched it, now Donovan's attacking a backpedaling big at 20 feet. That's not a great thing if you don't if he brings it out wider and you switched it now there's a small on Rudy, can he eventually start to take advantage of that from that angle? Quinn's master of angles. I think you'll see more of that. So I think Donovan could get better. The other thing about the Jazz last year is if you look at their pick and roll numbers, I think, and some of this was due to injury, but I the cons The concept's still the same. I think if you look at the Jazz, and I'll have to check this, and I'm kind of trying to do it actually as we're speaking because it seems funky, but I haven't checked it in a while. My memory was that the Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Mike Conley pick and rolls were almost equally distributed. So Donovan ran 2,000 last year. Joe ran 1,600, and Mike ran 1,600. I could see Donovan running 2,600 pick and rolls this year. Yeah. In Joe running a 1,000 and Mike holding it at 1,600. I could see that change taking place and fr- frankly jordan ran a thousand so you had two you know you had two thousand from donovan 1600 from joe 1600 from mike and a thousand from jordan like i could see donovan taking that number from 28 percent of our pick and rolls to 35 or f- almost you know probably 35 40 of our pick and roll and i think that will be interesting the trick on that is does donovan mitchell do donovan mitchell and hassan whiteside find some connection because donovan mitchell and Derek favors never did yeah so um you know I don't know how good Hassan Whiteside is anymore. This kind of comes. It's crazy that it keeps coming back to Hassan Whiteside. But frankly, the first seven players on this team are the exact same as last year. And if nobody has a major aging impact, which is possible with the ages that they're at, then the thing that changes them is whether or not that second unit is better. And they run the second unit in a unique fashion, right? They run Rudy in three stints so that Rudy plays the first five minutes, sits, and then comes back and plays the last two minutes of the first quarter into the second quarter. And that's when the Jazz were at their best last year is when suddenly Rudy was going up against second team bigs. It was like, right. It was cruel and unusual punishment.
0: Yeah, I, I do remember another game that I saw in person when the Warriors were in their brief uh, – nico Mannion, uh point guard at the second unit uh, spell and going up against gobert and conley on the second unit that was uh a little bit of, a little bit outclassed there so I
2: mean, and- the jazz second the jazz second unit lineup last year was mike conley all-star jordan clarkinson sixth man joe ingles who should have won six man george niang and rudy gobert all-star that's their second unit last year yeah it's pretty the legends are true but overwhelming power oh! sauce of destiny yes
0: yeah per usual of course when i said we wouldn't have that much to talk about with these guys uh, of course we have um any anyone that you're worried about maybe taking a little bit of a step back uh, this year
2: Well, i think you're you know i'm a homer obviously um my paycheck represents that um but i think you're being too much of a homer if you don't admit that you know when you look at this is the same this is how you win a title and this is how you also get nervous, right? Like, so Mike Conley's in his 15th year and Rudy Gay's in his 16th year. And Joe Ingalls birthday is four days off Mike Conley's birthday. Um, Actually it's nine. Like they, you know, we have a lot of 1987, 19, you know, birthdays. There's a chance that we have an 86 birthday. Like there aren't a lot of eighties left in this league. So, you know, those three guys right there that could regress, I, I think Joe Ingles' year last year was so much better than anyone actually realizes. It was just really incredible. I have a hard time believing he's going to do that again, not because I don't think he's good, only because I think that league was so great. Um, I mean, it was super great. So, you know, we'll see what happens um I think he would chance to regress. But I also think you could use him differently that allows him to not regress, right? Use him a little bit more as a four, lessen the burden on him. Um, we're recording this on his 34th thirty fourth birthday, so I should probably be being, you know, more optimistic. But, I mean, he shot 45% from three last year. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah,
0: no, it is. But, I mean, he's kind of been that at that low. I mean, I think he had one 1920 I think he had a little bit more of a down year. It was like thirty nine percent or something, uh, but yeah, I mean he's he's had years like this uh, before. Yeah, I'm I'm more concerned about these guys, you know, just you know, and Joe in particular being one of them, just like being able to move their feet uh, on the perimeter. You know, that's where I'm more concerned about potential continued regression, maybe than uh, uh, on the offensive end. I think if these guys are healthy and they're out there, they'll they'll be able to all shoot the ball. Uh, you know, Boyan is another one. I mean, I think just like kind of these incremental step backs uh defensively but you know maybe it won't matter as much if you're going against the Lakers who don't spread the floor the way that Clippers team does now you know if they get up against the Nets in the finals okay you know it's gonna start to be a problem that's again problem, probably but I'll take it but yes exactly that's it that's uh that's what I was gonna say um let's see I had something else and now I can't remember what remember it was oh this this is a thought I have here and you and you spent a lot of time around the team you weren't able to last year but you know you kind of you have a better understanding than most of us media hacks about just the rhythms of an NBA season and how much you're actually really able to prepare for games if at all during the regular season. And so one theory that I've had is that last year's regular season, you know, there's a difference between regular season and playoffs in terms of preparation time and rest and you know how much you scout the other team and you know playing your best players more minutes, etc. My theory is that last year's regular season was even more regular season-like than a normal regular season in terms of just not being able to prepare teams that kind of have a system, that have institutional knowledge, having an advantage. Uh, And and so will these shift just back to, you know, maybe you actually do have like one day in between games and you're not getting up at 6 a.m. for COVID testing. You can actually kind of, you know, get up for big games against uh, big teams. Could that hurt the Jazz just because, not that they'll take a step back, but just that everyone else will be a little bit more ready for them. Whereas because they had so much veteran institutional knowledge and good coaching and everyone had been in the system before that they're able to just overwhelm teams that couldn't be ready for the stuff that they did. So I think they'll that's, be lessened. I
2: think, I think that's very fair. Um, and it's yeah. a good assessment to last year. I would add one more caveat. I would add one more piece to it. I thought last year was the year of the point guard, that if you had someone who got you organized and was a mature veteran point guard, you were really very good. Yeah. Um, and that was because there was less preparation time, more in game kind of feel the game adjusting. And so if you had a Mike Conley or a Chris Paul or a Drew Holiday, who's not really a point guard, but probably had his best point guard year, I thought it really helped teams, um, that had that. Um, and so I would agree that. And I, I also think the jazz last year coaching staff did some really incredible things in their preparation understand because they had institutional knowledge and they maybe didn't have to start at base point one, when you weren't able to get together in a group, some of the stories I've heard, I want to get too into it because I want to give away what they did, but there was just a real, really incredible effort and brilliance from the jazz coaching staff last year in how they adapted to this circumstances that they had and were able to prepare for games.
0: Um, So anything else that you want to, that really sticks out to you about this team that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet before uh, we, we get into talking about just their overall prospects for this season?
2: Um, I think the two things that just we don't know is will Rudy, you know, Rudy's still in a developmental stage. I I think the most interesting thing about the West, by the way, just back to this. I think Raquel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker all get better in Phoenix. I think Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are still on the trend of getting better um, as basketball players, and I think Michael Porter Jr. gets better in Denver. And I think that makes things super. Those those are the six players in the West that I think get that are important that get better. Luca might get better too, which would be the seven. Um, and I think that kind of, at least how I'm looking at this, year, as each, you know, a little bit of why I'm kind of have a contrary feeling to a lot of people on some of these teams. Um, but I think those players, I think Rudy could still, I don't know if he can get better defensively. Last year was. Last year might have been as. Considering what he did defensively last year in a year in which the league had the greatest single offensive jump ever um, in a single season, might have been one of the great defensive seasons of all time, if not the best. There's a lot of. Yeah,
0: and, and honestly. Honestly, you know, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, like this proves that like he he's a, a fraud or whatever what happened against the Clippers. To me, it was the exact opposite. To me, it proved just how limited the rest of the roster was and how incredible what it was that he did during the regular season. Now, if you wanted to say, all right, who is the number one defensive player in the NBA that you would like to have in a playoff series? i'm not sure that rudy would be at the top of my list he's easily the number one regular season defensive player i might have draymond or a healthy anthony davis above rudy just because i think they have a little bit more versatility uh, than rudy uh, although i think his versatility still is underrated um you mentioned his improvement though do you think we'll see him like post up a little bit more like the way we did in the gold medal game against the usa's switching I,
2: I, i think so um I think we'll see a little bit more of that. I don't, you know, we'll see if it's successful. I think, you know, it yeah. takes him we, some
0: Might time. as well try it. Might right. as well try it, right?
2: You know, I think the Jazz have to figure out what the, con- I know it sounds, the alley-oop, whatever, the high pass. They have to find whatever the the next version of that is to, right. to keep, to make him a force more than just a rolling force. And so, because the Jazz were the number one offensive pick and roll team in the league last year, and they were the number one pick and roll defensive team in the league like at some point you just you're just foolish if you go try to play that game with them like if so teams every night's going to be a game of how teams can not play pick and roll with the jazz either by making the jazz not play pick and roll or by not playing pick and roll themselves and so i actually think from a jazz standpoint that every single time someone goes five wide on five wide on them this year and and like drives the lanes it's like the greatest practice for the playoffs And there's going to be a bunch of ugly nights and they lost to Washington and Minnesota at the time. It seemed inexplicable. But if you look back on it, like, oh, it makes sense. Those two teams played that way. They played, you know, Carl Anthony Towns would spread out and the Jazz would struggle and Russell Westbrook would drive on the open floor and they would struggle. Like these, this is going to be their opportunity this year. Every time someone does it. And I guess I'm assuming as the play by play announcer that I'm literally going to be like, here we go. They've gone five. They've gone five out. It's the drive game. Let's see how the jazz do. I feel like it's going to happen all the time. Um, The second thing I do think is super interesting about this team. And you probably heard me do this on locked on jazz. They, they don't have enough possessions to go around right now. Yeah. And um, Hassan Whiteside and Rudy Gay have a subtly higher usage rate than George Niang and Derek Favors. And when Boyan Bogdanovich was at his best last year was when Donovan Mitchell was hurt. And Mike Conley was at his best last year because he got much more aggressive in the first quarter, which left Boyan Bogdanovich without enough touches. And Joe Ingles wants his pick and roll touches. And it no one's feisty about it or any time of internal combustion or anything of that sort but it does impact how players play and how they feel and i think that'll be a delicate dance throughout the year
0: yeah you know i think uh, like white side you know if they're not going to throw in the ball in the post or anything but you know he'll kind of take his uh, his foul line jumper or two <laughs> per game that are frustrating or like he'll they'll throw the ball to him hoping that he's going to pass and then he'll get, try to get into the post or a hook shot you know we'll see whether that's still in his game and rudy you know he'll do they throw him a couple of isolation touches a game just to kind of keep him happy during the regular season you know maybe um so so yeah that will be interesting because i do think that some of these other guys are more efficient options than those two so yeah i mean it is and maybe maybe they'll you know donovan mitchell won't take as many shots during the regular season maybe that's how it happens and then you know just kind of save him for the playoffs a, a little bit and then you know when they're teams are switching against them and they're struggling to generate shots, then you know, he'll be fresh, you know, fresher than he was last year. Maybe, I'll maybe that's another the solution thought that.
2: at you. I thought there was a fascinating thing about the team last year that there were a bunch of players that were all establishing themselves at a higher level. And yet it never felt detrimental. Yeah. And so Jordan Clarkson became a better thought of player. Joe Ingalls became a better thought of player. Mike Conley reestablished himself. Donovan and Rudy became kind of perennial all-stars now. And so the, the question, um, the question that jumps out at me is with all of the, will there, while it didn't seem to be a problem last year in any way, will it somehow be, will Jordan be willing to take three less shots? Cause you know what? I got my sixth man and I don't care. Even though I don't think
0: he he would be uh, he would be an edit candidate for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I don't (laughs) actually feel like Jordan last year ever played for the sixth man. Like I didn't think it impacted his game or disrupted him a great deal, but like, is there just a subtlety to it that, like, you know what? Two of those shots a night I don't need. Like, and it's not even conscious. And that maybe Donovan's, you know, not as, like, driving to get back to that All-Star game quite the same way because it's kind of set that he'll be there. Um. So, and, and frankly, Mike, you know, was driving to get to that All-Star game for the first time. I just think there was a lot of individual things going on last year, that it was rather remarkable that it never became a problem. And if all of those subside just a tiny bit, maybe my possession issue is not a problem.
0: Well, and also, I think to me, you know, Mike in particular and Donovan, like they're going to be the guys in the playoffs. And, you know, this team is is working towards the playoffs. I think they're still going to be really good in the regular season. I think they're going to have the best record in the West. We'll we'll talk about that a little more in a second. But, uh, you know, this playoff offense, I think is going to be different than this regular season offense. And so if you need to kind of keep all these mouths happy during the regular season, fine. You know, I, I I think that's okay. And yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, if Donovan Mitchell is just, all right, everyone knows that he's an all-star now and Mike finally made, made the team, uh, should have probably should have made it without being an injury replacement, but nonetheless, uh, you know, so, so if those guys are like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Good. Go ahead. We'll, We'll be the guys in the playoffs. You know, maybe that's how it plays out as well. Um, so, yeah, let, let's talk about the overall season. Actually, no. Here, let's let's do this. It's probably a better use of our time. How do you see them matching up against the other West contenders? Who's a matchup that you think is pretty decent for them? And what's one that worries you?
2: So, anybody who can really go until the Jazz prove that they can handle it. Anybody who can really play simultaneously five drivers and five shooters at the same time. Pretty unique set that also is equally sized so that they can switch one through five. So that's the Clippers last year, right? Four guys at 6'8", 220, and Reggie Jackson at 6'4". And every time they switched Reggie Jackson onto something, they brought a double team. It was really well yeah. done. They were the only team that could really do that. Um ha- yeah. you know, you G- kind Golden of a- State might be able to do that this year. Right. I, You know, I actually almost picked up the phone and called you yesterday. I almost called Matt Moore from a conversation I heard him. I need someone to explain to me the Golden State love. I'm lost on it. Um, Like, I get how I uh, you know I was the first one of the early trumpeters of how great they were um so don't think this is like Golden State hate at all but okay. like this is a team that was the eighth seed last year I didn't don't think Steph could be much better than he was last year Draymond is slowing and the additions are young kids and then Clay's coming back after two years of not playing when like I'm I, I well,
0: you talking about for regular season or playoffs
2: well I yeah I mean I guess I mean I certainly don't expect Wiseman Moody and Kamunga to have much of a playoff impact
0: so, yeah, well, well, so, but I'm saying like I, I, you know, I think 47 wins or so that seems about right for them if healthy. You know, I think I went under uh, on their over under. It was like 47, 48 and a half. Um, I mean, the idea is just that Wiseman and Kelly Oubre and Brad Wanamaker killed them last year, and just that like they're going to be essentially playing this entire season the way that they played in that 15 and five finish. Now, can they actually hold up physically doing that? Can Draymond Green hold up physically? Playing 25 minutes a game at center during the regular season. Like that's, that's interesting. Now they kind of almost, I think they've come to the conclusion that offensively they just have to play that way because you, if you play them at the four, then you just have two non shooters and, and it's too ugly. Maybe if you have Steph and Clay both back and Clay is playing well, you can play Draymond at the four some more. But I think that's the idea is just that they're, uh, and then just that their style is going to be a major problem. I thought they were playing at a pretty high level last year. Like, yes, they did lose to. Memphis in the play and that was a, an ugly loss but I think you know a full strength Lakers team like they the Lakers I think would have beaten Phoenix if Anthony Davis the Phoenix Suns who made it to the NBA finals they would have beaten them if Anthony Davis didn't get injured and the Warriors probably should have beaten the Lakers in that game and, and just that their style is so difficult to play against I think the Jazz really was struggled to defend the Golden State Warriors they might be able to outscore them but I think that most like think of all the teams in the West that just play a conventional center. And if you're playing a conventional center against Steph Curry, uh with Draymond Green at center, I don't really know how you stop that. Huh. Uh, honestly. Uh, so my, so that's that's my thought now. Like are they going to be healthy? I, yeah, you know, but but if healthy I think they still can cause major problems for teams.
2: It's the best answer I've heard yet. I would just point out when I've looked at it, I believe that ending stretch had three Thunder wins, two Rockets wins. Oh sure, a Kings yeah. win and a Jazz non-Donovan Mike Conley win and a Pelican non anybody win. Right? Oh sure, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I'm not that. That's the argument for them. Like all of these, I mean, everybody won all their games in the last 20 games of the season. It was crazy, year, right? They like, did. you're right. Yeah, because because uh, the teams that were out of it were uh, quite out of it. Um, so I think so. so yeah. Uh, right,
2: so to answer your question specifically, you know the playoff Lakers are obviously tremendous, but they don't want to play half. The Lakers don't want to play half court offense against the Jazz half court defense.
0: No, and the Jazz are the worst possible mess- matchup for Russell Westbrook.
2: Um. So. If they can keep him in transition when he runs down the floor on him, it's a problem. Um, yeah. I, you know, if I, as a Jazz fan, I would say that I know this sounds crazy, but like the seriously worst matchup for the Jazz, if you follow the last few years, would be they're the one seed and the Timberwolves are the eight seed. Um, <laughs> the Jazz, yeah. for whatever reason, cannot beat Minnesota. Um,
0: well, Carl Anthony Towns,
2: yeah, it, it, it does make some sense. Um, you know, I actually think Portland's going to be a really tough, difficult matchup for them if Larry Nance is playing the five.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know how much Nance is going to shoot. I, I'm very curious to see Portland uh, this year. Um, you know, I think
2: you know th- there are a lot of teams
0: that I think can cause problems for the Jazz defensively. I think most of these series that the Jazz are going to be in are going to be like big time offensive series because there, there are not many teams that can stop the Jazz either. Right. I mean, like the Clippers might be able to do it. Uh, with, with their switching. I think the Warriors would be a pretty decent matchup. Lakers with AD at center, maybe. You know, those are the three teams that I would think, okay, maybe the Jazz don't score at will against. I think everybody else the Jazz are just going to just bomb on. And, you know, their three-point shooting is so good that I don't really like that many teams to outscore the Utah Jazz, honestly. I mean, and, and like, the Jazz are going to play some really fun series, I think, you know, going up against Phoenix and or – Denver, oh, man, I hope we get Denver, Denver, Utah again. Those are always – the the Gobert-Jokic matchup is is amazing to watch. Um, you know, Dallas, I think, could cause real defensive problems for the Jazz with poor Zingas at center as long as Jason Kidd wises up and doesn't play another center that Rudy can guard. You know, you, you mentioned the Blazers with, with Lillard, although I think the Jazz have actually historically done a little better against the Blazers than might have been expected given, you know, the problems you would think that Dame would cause for for Rudy. Uh Yeah, so I mean, I think all those teams, uh, I think the Jazz can outscore a lot of those teams, but I don't know that like I'm coming into a series for the Jazz against any of those teams, except maybe Portland being like, they're just going to blow these guys off the floor, you know, unless there are injuries.
2: Yeah, I would just watch Dallas and Portland if they are having good seasons and they come together and are playing well, that's not great. From a Jazz standpoint, that's not great.
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, the West playoffs are, are going to be amazing. Well, I think I this mean, We year. talked
2: about the very beginning, and I think it's actually important for the season. Like, I think actually the preview of the Jazz, as much as like we opened this conversation with like 10 minutes about non-Jazz things, I actually think the preview of the Jazz and the preview of Phoenix and the preview of a lot of these teams is the relevance of the fact that the West is so open that there are teams that could be in the play in game that could also win the conference. And so I think the 7th team in the West is going to have 45 46 maybe even as many as 48 wins. And that just means there's just not a lot of time to blink in this process and any injury sends this thing in a very very different manner.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, the Clippers Kawhi Leonard might be back. You know, we we don't know the the answer to that either. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to be Kawhi if he is back, but you know, that 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 would be fascinating also. Um so you I'm not going to put you to a prediction as our uh, tradition is but I owe the the listeners one and like as we get into that just for the regular season why are these guys supposed to be so much worse than last year like they had the point differential of a 66 win team and you know maybe you can argue that they're more pl- prone to blowing out bad teams and that that doesn't mean as much like they're more prone to underperforming their point differential like they've had that you know a few of these last years um but still, you know, I mean, they even, they won as many games as like, you know, I think they won the equivalent of 59 games last year. Their over 51 and a half. Like, I don't understand why it's it, it's that low. Maybe they think they're going to be injuries. Like, uh, but you know, I mean, I see these guys like very solid, like the regular season formula just works at this point. And like most teams are not going to be able to stop them uh, on defense. And, you know, Rudy gives them enough uh, on the other end. Like it's a proven regular season formula. I mean, I think like 55 wins if they get even reasonable health is kind of like the floor to me
2: yeah i i hope i mean my point on them is any year rudy's played they've won at least 52 games so that's like your your starting point is actually like 52 53 games with them because rudy with rudy if you have rudy you have 34 minutes of the best defense in the nba
0: no i i think that's uh, during the regular season i think that's true and yeah i'm i'm uh I, i guess the thought just is like while everyone thinks the regular season doesn't matter anymore, so nobody's gonna be pushing. I don't even think they need to push, honestly, to get to like fifty-five wins. It's
2: interesting. I actually feel like it's interesting. There's been this whole thing because the Jazz lost in the second round, um, that they somehow the number one seed didn't matter. Um, I actually am left with kind of the other response is like wow they could have lost in the first round very easily to uh, many of those teams because if you see it and they could have lost to the clippers in the first round had they slept close enough right right
0: it's all about the bracket more so than necessarily it is playing at home
2: but they had like they would have beat the memphis grizzlies 10 out of 10 times yeah. that's a great luxury. They would have beat the Dallas Mavericks seven out of 10. They would have beat the Clippers evidently five out of five or four out of six or three out of 10, right? Like, or you know, people got that math, but like, so I think that the, while well, people are talking about like resting through the regular season, like I think the number one seed still really, really important, particularly because I think the eighth team is going to be less good than the, significantly less good than the seventh, same same way we felt last year.
0: So I'm going to predict 56 wins for these guys. The I'll take season. it. It'll
2: be fun to be watching every single one of them. <laughs>
0: um and but but i think i i will probably if i have to you put a gun to my head i'll predict a second round loss again uh for these guys in the playoffs um but i do think that they're capable of making it to the finals like i i definitely i don't know that there's going to be that team in the west i mean maybe someone's just going to emerge and look so good in the regular season but i also don't think you know unless it's the lakers I don't think that, like, there's not much that any of these teams can prove to me in the regular season either. I'd say, you know, maybe the Mavs would be another one, like, if they really blow up and, like, they prove that their defense is really good. But uh, playoff basketball is just so different than regular season basketball at this point in time that, like, unless it's one of these teams or I'm like, oh, this is a team that not only is playing great in the regular season, but they also have schematic advantages and, like, really high-end talent in the playoffs. You know, if the Warriors win 55 games this year, then, you know, I'll probably be pretty high in them, right? I I don't think that's going to happen. So. Uh, so yeah, th- that's my thoughts on it. Uh, anything else you want uh, to add? Tell people where they can keep up with your work. Obviously
2: you can follow me on Twitter at D 9 And you can follow all of your favorite NBA teams with their daily podcast on the locked on podcast network, search locked on your favorite team's name. And they're probably on YouTube as well as on your f- whatever podcast provider available for you each and every day.
0: All right. Thanks for coming on my friend. Appreciate thanks, it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah.
1: That's me.